0: So if you are hard of hearing, uh, this, this spot right here, did you get enough bass right there? You're like, like vibrating right through you. That's awesome. So we are in the last part of our series, How Not to Be Your Own Worst Enemy. I hope that you've enjoyed the series. Um, it has been fun to go through this and, and talk about some of the things because if you live enough life there will come a time when you will become your own worst enemy at some point. Um, it's just kind of uh, human nature and the way that we want to be independent and some of the ways that we want to go about doing things. And, and sometimes we're shrugging mom and dad off in their wise advice. And we don't think they know anything. And, uh, and then we find out when we get into our early 20s or we have our first child, <laughs> they knew a lot more than I thought they did. And, uh, but so many times we can become our own worst enemy, in, in week number one, we talked about paying attention to the tension. Paying attention to that tension that's inside of us. And, and if you're a Jesus follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and, and he rarely shouts at us. It is typically always a still, small voice. And uh, and so many times, we just blast past it. I mean, we have some tension inside of us, and if we would if we would actually be honest with it, or if we would pay attention to it, we would realize there's some tension inside of me and when that tension is there, you would do well to pay attention to it. We would do well to to look at it, to not just pass by, to not just blast right past it and, and get to a place where we don't even really even see it anymore, but actually pay attention to it and realize, is God trying to say something to me here? Because so many times when we blast right past it, We become our own worst enemy. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about paying attention to the narratives that we that we tell ourselves we have a narrative about God and you probably got a narr- that narrative from the way that you were raised by your parents and the narrative that they uh, shared with you some of you got your, we get our narrative from the part of the you know planet that we grow up in and whether it's our country or whether it's the you know part of the country that we grow up in but everybody has a narrative that uh, that kind of shapes the way that they think about God it shapes the way that we think about ourselves some of you, you beat yourself up over and over and over again. Some of us, from the way that you were raised, some of you came from legalistic backgrounds, and and I mean, you just you just abuse yourself. And the narrative that you you say about yourself is, is I think, it breaks God's heart. It's like, oh, if you if you only knew the narrative that was true about me, and if you only if you knew that, and 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 the, and what I would speak into you, you wouldn't have that narrative about yourself. And then our narratives about others. And then last week, we, we talked about one of those narratives about some of the prejudices that we, that we carry in, in our thoughts about race. But it's the narratives that we say to ourselves in those arenas, and it, and it really shapes the way that we think about God. It ways, it, it, it's the way that we, it shapes the way that we think about ourselves, and it shapes the way that we think about others. And when we don't channel those narratives down through the values of Jesus, it ends up leading us to become our own worst enemy. And so today, I want to talk to you about paying attention to the voices of wisdom around you, which I would think you'd be like, Eric, do we really need to have a sermon about that? I mean, isn't that obvious? I mean, that's just really simple, right? I mean, we should pay attention to the voices of wisdom around us. And yet, isn't it true that we don't tend to want to do this? Because so many times, we know what the wisdom is, but we don't really want to hear it. It's what we might need to hear. It's just really not what we want to do. And, uh, and, and, and in so doing, we can so easily become our own worst enemy. Isn't it true that a single bad decision is always the first step to becoming our own worst enemy? that single bad decision. And maybe you were around a group of friends who were kind of giving you a narrative and, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this narrative of what your parents might be telling you was a different narrative, but you were like, they don't know anything. And so you're you like, I'm going to go with my friend's narrative. And some of you, you know, have lived a little bit of life. You're looking back saying, <laughs> and I became my own worst enemy. And that decision that I made, it was It was, you know, hopefully not catastrophic, but for some of us, some of those decisions become catastrophic decisions, but they rarely, they rarely start with one huge bad decision. They tend to start with small bad decisions that lead us to a catastrophic decision. So today, I want to share with you a story out of some really rich narrative in the Hebrew Bible, or we would know it as the Old Testament. And uh, in this narrative, we, we learn about a story that's, you know, if you grew up in church, it, it's not a really well-known story. But in the story, we learn what happens and what it looks like when we can either know wisdom and act on it, or we can have wisdom but not act on it. There is a huge difference between being wise and acting wise. In, in knowing wisdom and then acting on it. Those are two completely different things as we will see. So Saul, he was the first king of Israel, and he was uh, a king of Israel for 40 years. And, uh, and then David was not Saul's son, David was uh, appointed by God um, because Saul kind of went off the rails. And, uh, and this tension, paying attention to the tension was a story that we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago where David um, paid attention to the tension that was inside of him, which was actually remarkable with the emotion that was around that. And, uh, and, and David was a king for 40 years. And then David's son Solomon became a king, and he was a king for 40 years as well. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And, uh, and, and this was why, because he, he, God came to him and said, hey, I, I'll give you anything you want, Solomon. What do you want? And Solomon said, I, I want wisdom. It was an extraordinary answer. And so God gave him extraordinary wisdom. But later on in Solomon's life, he just kind of started going off the rails. There was, there was a difference between the wisdom that he knew and the wisdom that he acted on. And Solomon's downfall was, one of the things that he, he, he would do is marry foreign uh, king's wives, or he wouldn't marry their wife, that would be awkward. That might incite war. Don't do that. But he would marry their daughters uh, because they were like, you know, they're not going to go to war. My daughter actually lives in their palace. So, you know, we're not going to go to war with him. And so he started marrying all of these foreign wives. Did you know Solomon had over 700 wives? And you're like, and he was a wise guy? What what in the world was he thinking? So I'm telling you, there's a difference between knowing wisdom and acting on wisdom. Can you imagine being one of Solomon's wives? You're like number three hundred and forty-seven. I don't think he knew all of their names. I mean, was, I mean, I don't know how you would know that, but Solomon, he did this. But all of these women would come, and 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 they didn't know the one true God. They didn't know Yahweh. So they would come worshiping their their pagan gods, and and they had a narrative that they kept telling Solomon, kept telling Solomon, and Solomon started. Drawing away, his heart started going away from God and towards these pagan gods. And he actually started worshiping these pagan gods and building these temples and and altars for all of these pagan gods, for all of his foreign wives who would come and and worship these uh, foreign pagan gods. And as a result, God was like, man, There is something that's going to happen that I'm going to allow to happen that, that wouldn't have to happen, but I'm going to allow this to happen. So before we get there, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Now we're going to, there's a couple of Boams and, uh, and Ammon, so there's a Solomon and a couple of Boams. So we, the, we have Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, but we're going to talk about Jeroboam, so Jeroboam is also a huge part of this story. And, uh, and so you can get confused really, really quick. So we have Amon, we have Eboam, Rehoboam, and then we have Jeroboam, who is going to be a huge part of this story as well. So we're going to kick it off in 1 Kings chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those. If you have YouVersion, version, you can open that on your app. Jeroboam was a very capable young man. In other words, he had a lot of capacity. He, he, he was a guy that you could put a lot of weight on, you could put a lot of responsibility on, and he'd carry through. He'd get it done. And he, he was an extraordinary leader, but he wasn't related to the king. He wasn't one of, you know, Solomon's sons. He was just a guy that, you know, could carry a lot of capacity and uh, was kind of a natural-born leader, and a lot of people followed him. And even Solomon realized, man, this guy, he, he can flat uh, get it done. And, uh, and so Solomon saw how industrious he was and he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, which were um, a couple of tribes of, of, of Israel and came from Joseph, the descendants of Joseph. One day as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, which I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm going to go with Ahijah. Um, you can come up with whatever you want from Shiloh, met him along the way. Now, whenever a prophet shows up, um, it could be good news. It could be really bad news. You just didn't know. And, and if he meets you in the middle of a field with no one else around, um, it, could, you know, it could be alarming news. So Hejah was wearing a new cloak. He meets, um, he, he, he meets Jeroboam in the middle of this field. And, uh, and this is what he what He says, he just took hold of his new cloak and he was wearing that he was wearing, and he tore it into 12 pieces, to which Jeroboam had to be like, "Dude, what, what are you doing?" I, I don't know how you say "dude" in Hebrew, but I'm guarantee he said "dude" in Hebrew. But he's uh, like, D- "It's a new cloak. Why are you tearing your cloak into 12 pieces?" Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten of the tribes to you. Because Solomon is going off the rails, I am going to allow the kingdom of Israel to be split apart because of decisions that shouldn't be made, that didn't need to be made, But we're made because there's a difference between having wisdom and acting on wisdom. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time for the sake of my servant David, because he had made a promise to David, the one who I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will keep Solomon as leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten of the tribes to you. To which, upon hearing this, if you were Jeroboam, you should be scared at this point. Because in ancient Israel, in, in those cultures, um, whenever you were a threat to the, to the king you were you were taken care of, and you were taken care of permanently, if you know what i mean and uh, And so he's thinking, okay, this is really, really bizarre. I'm not sure I wanted to hear this and uh and yet somehow or another, Solomon found out what the prophet had said uh, to Jeroboam, and so here we go. Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, which that's what they uh, would have done to protect their kingdom. But he fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. So he takes refuge in Egypt and, uh, and stays there until you know the, the, the way is clear. And he finds out that Solomon passes away. And then he's like, okay, now it's safe to come back. Well, in the meantime, Rehoboam is is in this process of going through um, kind of the, the enshrining or the, the, the celebrating, um, kind of putting him as king of Israel. So Rehoboam went to Shechem, and Shechem is north of, of uh, Jerusalem. It was actually the original capital of Israel before Jerusalem was. And so Rehoboam goes there, and this is where all Israel gathered to make him king. So they're going through this process of making Rehoboam king. And this is the point in which the people were thinking, here we have an opportunity to request something of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, he makes some extraordinarily wise decisions. And they're thinking, we're going to ask something of Rehoboam On this front end, before before he ever starts making you know a whole bunch of decisions, um, in in regards to how he's going to run his kingdom, we're going to request something of him, and uh, and and hopefully, you know what? If he goes along with this, we, you know what? We'll serve him, and let him be our king. And so when Jeroboam, some of Nebat heard of this, he returned from Egypt. For he had, led, he had left Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, him being Jeroboam. And Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. So a bunch of the leaders of Israel, they, they knew Jeroboam because he had been a great leader when he was there. And so they summoned him and they're like, hey, we want you to come with us when we go and we talk to Rehoboam. And so Jeroboam's like, "Okay, I'm going to come back to my homeland with all of these guys that you know what we've 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 led well together. We've accomplished a whole bunch of things together, and uh, and, and then we're going to request this of Jer- of Rehoboam and see what he says." So they summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel. They went to speak with Rehoboam, and they said, "Your father was a hard master." Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your your loyal subjects. So in other words, they're like, Rehoboam, your dad, when he started going off the rails and following all of these pagan gods... He went from he 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 went crazy. I mean, he he started building all of this infrastructure and 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 started treating us in a way that we were all we were, we became like slaves. It wasn't just hey, you know, an 8 to 5 job. It was he treated us as slaves. He stopped treating us as as, as the one true God would have him treat us. He started treating us as pagan gods would treat their subjects and just, you know what? You're here to serve me and make whatever I want you to do. That's what you're supposed to do. And Solomon, he was building all of this stuff. He had so much wealth. There was no end to his wealth. And he was building, he had over 150,000 stone cutters. So just take that into consideration. I mean, he was building Israel into an incredible, incredible place. But in the process of doing that, he was mistreating people to get it done. And so this group of people, they came to Rehoboam, they're like, hey, just a couple of things. We don't want to be treated as slaves. And he's just taxing the living beings out of us. For some of you, you're like, amen, amen. Heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Could you lighten the load? It seems reasonable. Well, Rehoboam makes an incredible decision. He's like, give me three days to think this over. That is super wise. I'm not going to make a snap decision. I'm going to take some time to to think about it. I don't know if you're a microwave or you're an oven. I'm an oven. So when people come and they they ask a question that's like, this is a major decision. I'm like, okay, I'm an oven, not a microwave. So give me a few days to kind of think this uh, through and think this over. And so he's like, man, this is a big decision. I, give me a few days. And then he, he, he has great leadership where he says, then come back for my answer. In three days, I'm going to give you an answer. He's like, I'm going to be clear. That's great leadership. I don't know all of the answers, but what I do know and the decision that I do make, I'll be clear with you. Great leadership. So the people went away. And then Rehoboam, he makes another great decision. He discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father. So he goes to these seasoned guys who have been in the trenches of, of making difficult decisions. And basically, you know, in the, in, you're never going to make everybody happy. I mean, whenever you're in those types of this, you know, leadership positions... You're never going to make everybody happy. And, and, and so they're seasoned in this of, of you saying, man, this is how you are principled. This is how you should, should lead. And so he goes and he wants to listen from these older guys, which is fantastic. And he says, what is your advice? How should I answer these people? Well, the older counselors replied and they're like, man, your father, he just kind of, he, it, towards the end of his life... He just kind of went off the rails and started following these pagan gods. And in, this, in so doing, he started to lose the people because he started to mistreat the people he was actually supposed to serve. And so they said, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today, and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. In other words, Rehoboam, if if you will realize that the kingdom is you saying, how can I make all of the people's lives better rather than how can you just make your own legacy better? If you realize that you can come underneath them and and serve them rather than them just serving you, it will go so much better for you. So he says, put their interests above your own. Put their interests ahead of yours. Rehoboam, if you will put their interests ahead of yours, they will serve you. But if you become like your father, where you just feel like they're just there for you to do with whatever you want, it's not going to go well for you as it was not going well towards the end of your father's life. See, (laughs) it was what Rehoboam needed to hear But it was not what Rehoboam wanted to do. You ever had someone who told you what you needed to hear, but it wasn't what you wanted to do? Hmm. I have. And I became my own worst enemy. So, Rehoboam has a decision to make. Will he follow the, the, the wise... Older, seasoned guys? Or what's he gonna do? So Rehoboam he rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. Brand new guys, given brand new power. And they're kind of jockeying for position. Power to say, now I can use my title to do with whatever I want. I can use this power that I have to, you know what, to make other lives miserable in order to make my life better. Maybe today, maybe this morning, you find yourself in a position where you've been given some power. Maybe you have a brand new job, maybe you have a brand new title, maybe you're a brand new wife or a brand new husband, maybe you're a brand new father, or a brand new mom, maybe you've been, given, you've been given a position and a title of power, how will you do that? And how will you use it? And will you think that you know everything about parenting? And will you think you know everything about marriage? And no one's going to teach you anything because no one could ever teach you anything. And I'm not going to go to a marriage conference, thank you very much, because that would seem like that I don't know everything there is to know about marriage. And it would seem like maybe our marriage isn't doing very well, so I'm not going to go. And I'm going to wait until finally my marriage falls apart and everyone's going to know anyway. Do you see how we don't tend to want to listen? And we don't want to listen to wisdom that maybe had been shared with us at a point in our life. So, have you ever found some folks who just told you what you wanted to hear? Rehoboam had a group of young guys. They were just kind of jockeying for position, and 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 they, you know they're on the payroll. They're going to tell Rehoboam whatever he wants to hear. Whenever you surround yourself with only people who want you, who will tell you what you want to hear, you are in a, an extremely dangerous position. Extremely dangerous. So easy to become your own worst. Enemy. This is why, and, I, and, and, and here's what happens. This is why we want you to be in circles in a life group where people will say something and you're like, oh, I don't really. I don't. And, and, and here's your decision you can become mad and say, I'm not going to be a part of that group anymore. Why? Because you made me mad. Or you could grow. And yeah, you may have some disagreements. That's one reason why we want you in a circle. Not because you're, you're always going to agree with everything. But you may catch some wisdom that, mm, if you would listen to it, you might be better off. And sometimes we have a misconception that our our life groups are just hunky-dory places. For the most part, they are. But sometimes, sometimes we hear some things that we need to hear, but it's contrary to something that we want to do. This is how you end up being where you don't want to be. So here's my question for you. Whose advice are you currently ignoring? Is there, is there someone close around you and, in terms of maybe your finances or maybe in terms of your relationships or maybe in terms of parenting? And you're just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just ignoring that. I, I, I mean, and here's the thing. I realize there's plenty of bad advice I realize there's plenty of you know, wisdom that's not actually wisdom. But here's where I'm going to, I'm going to push on, in on you. You know, and I know, when it's true, but I'm not going to do it. You know when someone's saying something to you that's actually true, and you know it. And deep, deep down, you, you, you know, but... Mm, Not going to do it. That's what I'm talking about. Back to the narrative. What is your advice, Rehoboam says to these young guys that are around him? How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? Well, the young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want you to lighten their burden." My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Solomon was a very large man. And so they're like, go out there and you just tell those complainers, you know what? You have no rights. You're here to serve me. And my pinky is bigger than my father's waist. You think you had it bad with my dad. (laughs) You haven't seen nothing yet. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. Tell them my father beat you with whips. In other words, he treated you as slaves, but I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Scorpions is a a type of whip. It was a whip that was used for criminals. So my father treated you as slaves. I'm going to treat you as criminals. Oh. So any guesses how well this went over? Do we, need to, do we need to end the story? I mean, it, it, ends, it ends in a happy place, right? Isn't this true with some people? And so many times we can't see it in the mirror, but you can see it in other people just clear as day. And, you, and you're like, can you not see what the decisions that you're making? It's like, everybody knows how this is going to end. Haven't you seen that in someone else's life? And others have seen it in yours? But we just can't seem to see it In the mirror. Well, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips. He treated you as slaves, but I will beat you with scorpions. I am going to treat you as criminals. Well, this is not a big surprise. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse, David's dad. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. People who are not led well, it does not go well. King Rehoboam sent to Adarium, who was in charge of the of forced labor, to restore order. So a few days go by, and, and Rehoboam's thinking, Eh, give him a few days. And then the text is actually, he's not, well, not even really worried about it. He's like, oh, they'll come around. They'll come around. I mean, they're yeah, they didn't hear what they wanted to hear. Babies. They'll come around. You know, they're going to come back. So, I mean, pretty soon it's like, woo, a lot of unrest out there. And so he sends you know, the, the guy that was charged uh, to, to oversee the forces, you know, it's time for you guys, you know what, to start uh, we're going to start treating you as slaves and criminals, so you know, starts cutting the stone and let's get after it. Well, instead, the people of Israel stoned him to death. Not good. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. So he's still up north in Shechem and he's thinking, I better get my hiney back to Jerusalem where there's fortification because they're coming after me next. <laughs> Not good. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. And the kingdom was split. And the northern kingdom that became known as Israel was ruled by Jeroboam and became the king of of Israel. And Rehoboam remained the king down in what the southern part of Israel became known as Judah. And in so doing, this kingdom was split that didn't need to be split. And in so doing, it it weakened the kingdom. It made the kingdom vulnerable. Sometimes we, we make our families vulnerable. We make our marriages vulnerable. We make our places of work vulnerable. We make our friendships vulnerable and they're weakened because we won't listen to wisdom, and it became invadable. Sometimes the decisions that we are making and the narratives that we are telling ourselves makes our marriage invadable. It makes our workplace invadable. makes our families invadable. So here's a question I would love for you to begin to put as a, just kind of a part of who you are. When you're up against a decision, you need to make it. And just saying, I'm going to run this past someone else, and I'm going to ask them, what would you do if you were in my shoes? What would you do if you were in my shoes? What what would you do? One of the the decisions that that was an example of of this is uh, something that, a decision that was made for the Life Center, and it you know, it really didn't impact any individuals uh, necessarily, but uh, we had a group of guys that would meet every Monday morning, and we would make decisions when we were building this facility, and we would make decisions as to things that maybe we wanted to do differently as, as we were building it and going along, and one of those was the entryway into the East Auditorium and this main auditorium, and, uh, and Lane Teterman, he's like, I think we should angle the entry doors so that both are are angled coming into both the auditoriums. I did not like that idea. I I, I was just like, ah, oh, I I don't I don't think that. I just. I, I, and now I look back. I, I don't know why I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I didn't think it would look very good. And I thought you would just walk out those doors and run into a post because there was going to have to be a post there. We had to leave a bearing post, and I'm thinking we're going to just walk out of doors and run into a post. It's like I can't see it, and it is, I don't think it's going to look very good. And 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 Lane's just like, oh come on. And the rest of the guys were like. We're kind of on with Lane on this one. I think this could be really good. And you know what? I had the power because of my title and my position that I could have said, "Guys, not going to happen," and they they would have gone along with it. And you know what? No one would have ever known. And 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 so, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with it. I, I I'm going to yield to some older voices that, that, that are seeing something that I'm not seeing. And so that's the way we built it, the way that you see it. And you know what? I look at it now and I'm like, why did I not want to do that? Because that was so much better. So much better doing it that way than the way that I was wanting us to do it. So, it's almost every day, we, we have it. you know, what would you do if you were in my shoes. What what decision would you make? Because here's the deal. Private decisions have public consequences. And our tendency is just, you know what? Mind your own business. This is my business. And yes, that's true. But your business, your private decisions have public consequences. And so it's good to run those by other people. Paying attention to the voices of wisdom around you because wise voices set you up for wise choices. So crossing, pay attention to the tension, pay attention to your narratives and surround yourself with voices of wisdom to listen. If you and I will do that, <laughs> then We will allow God to shape the narratives around who He truly is. We will allow God to shape the narratives around who we really are in His sight and how valuable we are to Him. And we will allow Him to shape the narratives about other people and the way that we view them and the way that we treat them. So Crossing, let's be an extraordinary church and model this as Jesus' followers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you you realize we're going to put it in the ditch. You realize that that uh, this is a process that is so difficult that we need practice. We need practice paying attention to the attention. We need practice paying attention to the narratives and, and, and actually asking the question is, is that narrative even true? Is that narrative that I've gone with my whole life, is it even true? Have, have I even examined what I keep telling myself? And then, Father, would you, would you help us to be open to seek? wisdom from others and even go to someone who, who maybe we respect and, and we know they, they're going to tell us not what we want to hear but they're, they're just going to tell us and, and Father would you help us to be open to that help us to have a posture of of learning and growing and realizing we need people around us would you help us realize that our friends will determine the quality and direction of our life? That the narratives that, are, that they're telling us are so powerful. So God, would you help us individually and then as a church, would you help us to lead the way so that we could be beyond these four walls to have extraordinary influence in people's lives. Thank you for being the great I am. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So, hello to everyone on the live stream. Good to see you guys Thank again. Thank you for sticking yeah. with us. Welcome to this morning. Dad, I have some questions okay. for you. First one How long did David reign? 40 years. How long did Solomon (laughs) reign? Forty years. (laughs) Pop quiz. Good job, you aced it. Very bad. Very bad. Okay. No, but seriously, um, today is kind of—it's a—it's a a tough, tough subject almost. in now this this culture, because um, we make obviously we make this distinction between Gen Z and other other generations quite often. Um, and as a result, sometimes the temptation is, as Gen Z, um, is to not listen to the the generations ahead of us. So speaking to my generation um, specifically, like, I, I don't know. How do you know what voices to listen to? How do you know um, which ones are the wise words? And uh, how do you know? What do, yeah. what do you listen to?
0: Well, <clears throat> first of all... Uh, I would surround myself with with Jesus followers to begin with um, True. and and people who love Jesus not just not just loving the Bible that's great. I hope they love the Bible, but I hope they love jesus um, and and do they orient their life? Does it seem like they're orienting their life through the values of jesus and and if they are and they're older than you um then then I would just decide I am going to be a person that's going to have a posture to listen to that older generation. (laughs) Uh, Because I know for me, that's how I made that change, where I just made a decision, I'm going to be open and listen to them. Um, So honestly, I think it's a decision that you have to make.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I I would agree with you. And... um you've got to probably ask for discernment when it comes to what advice do you listen to and what advice do you kind of not pay attention to. So um, for you in your life, I know that you talk quite often about mentors that you've had Mm -hmm. in the past. Um, Mentorship, I think, is a huge part of this um, and discipling um, younger people. So how do you... um, how do you approach someone about giving you advice? How do you, I mean, how, how do you know how much of your situation to share? How do you know? Yeah. How do, how do you begin that conversation?
0: Yeah, so in my, in my experience, it's been, it's been guys who um, showed me that they cared about me. So they, they, they cared and so I trusted them and, uh, and then just saying, man, if you were in my shoes, here's my, circum- here's my circumstance. If you are in my shoes, what would you do? And, and, and then, you know, I think I've, had, I've been on both sides of that where people have asked me, you know, what would I do if I was in their shoes? Um, realizing, you know, at best there's there's things that are black and white that we can follow, but yeah. then there's wisdom issues where right. you know there it, it's gray it's not black and white it it could be a difficult situation with a, with extended family and how to, how do we deal with that and or it could be you know you know family coming for christmas how i mean it's, it's gray it's not black and white and and so they might have experience to be able to share some things and some tips that uh, could be extremely helpful, but having a posture and seeking that out, mm-hmm. I think is so, yeah, is so helpful.
1: Yeah, being open and willing to, to hear some words you might not want to hear, um, not just going to your, your besties on either side and saying, hey, affirm me and what I'm believing, mm-hmm. so that's a great message, you guys. Remember to pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to your narratives. And pay attention to those wise, older voices around you. I'm specifically speaking to people my age when I say that. Although it's, it's applicable. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It mm-hmm. is applicable to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, Crossing. I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll see you next time. Yeah.